This is the Cork Today replay on C103. There's been so much talk about the rising cost of living and I think all of us, if you've got to venture outside your door to do any kind of shopping or any bills that are arriving into your letterbox or into your email account, everybody's talking about the fact that everything is going up and so it's not just our good selves that are noticing the rising cost of living because the powers that be, the government who can control it in some way or maybe not been able to control it but they certainly can help us in some way and there's lots of talk in the papers today of a range of measures aimed at reducing the cost of energy, the cost of healthcare and the cost of education. There's some of the things that are being considered by the government in their plans and their hope to address the rising cost of living. All of the three government party leaders, they've all asked the various ministers of the different departments to draft policy proposals aimed at easing the financial burden, which has been sparked, of course, by record rates of inflation. Now, this is coming at a time that the European Central Bank, they've already started to hint that interest rates could rise later this year. Now, that will put the fear of God into anyone who is paying a mortgage at the moment because if interest rates rise at the end of the year, that will put pressure on mortgage holders. And these are people who are already under pressure with rising costs of everything. Central to the government's plans to address the problem inflation will be targeting the cost of healthcare with talks underway about they're looking at things like reducing the emergency department charges they're also th- looking at things like the prescription uh, fees they're talking about reducing the threshold for the drugs payment scheme there are some of the things that they're looking at under health the government is also examining the limits on medical cards now that would be good for a number of people because it would allow more people to claim the benefits if they examined the limits of which somebody can apply for a medical card also plans under discussion according to some of the papers today to increase the amount of tax-free money that employers can gift to their employees. Now at the moment em- employers can give a gift of uh, five €100 without it being taxed to an employee. Now that would have happened at Christmas. Some people gave it as a bit of a a pandemic bonus but because there's talks of the 1,000 one-off which is going to be a tax-free one paid to healthcare workers the government are kind of saying well maybe some employers might like to give something to their workers which obviously would help them with their cost of living. So they're they're talking about looking at the limit being 500 at the moment that an employer can gift to an employee of lifting that to 1,000 euro but they're saying it would be done on a one-off basis. Now, the €100 energy uh, credit, which is due to be taken off all our electricity bills next month, been lots of talk this week that that might be increased, Uh, though the level is yet to be decided. There are concerns over the impact that a height in the rebate would have on inflation. I know the Tánishta seemed to be pushing for an increase to give more to people off their electricity bill but the Taoiseach Michael Martin was saying was worried about if we do that it could raise inflation. Under plans being suggested by senior government uh, figures some say the credit could be almost doubled and €200 Euro could be taken off people's electricity bill. College fees they're looking at those 
for third level students they could be reduced there under proposals being looked by the Higher Education Minister uh, Simon Harris and of course already yesterday this will help out some families the Education Minister Norma Foley just before the close of the programme yesterday announced this that the Leaving Search and Junior Certificate fees are going to be wavered for students just for this year so that certainly will help out families if they have a Leaving Search and are a Junior Certificate student in the household. Also discussions they're looking at things like reducing VAT on energy costs. Everyone would benefit uh, from that. They're looking at perhaps reducing VAT on certain food items and some are saying if they look at certain food items they more than likely will look at the healthier goods to reduce the uh, to reduce the VAT on that. There's been talks of a reduction in motor tax. That seemingly is also on the table. But straight away when I heard that there there's talk of a reduction in motor tax, the Green Party, they certainly are not going to be in agreement with that. They certainly would reduce would resist that move because they of course want to get people out of their cars, not into their cars. So anything that will take any kind of pressure off motorists, you're not going to see the Green Party agreeing to that. The driving licence fee, €55, Euro, the €75 Euro charge for renewing your 10-year passport, they're all up for uh, review. Social Protection Minister Heather Humphreys, she's examining whether the fuel allowance season could be extended by a number of uh, weeks and that would allow people to draw down more money under the scheme. But obviously that's going to be just targeted at people on the fuel allowance. But there is... Government sources are saying that there is a total agreement among the party leaders that we need to do something. Something needs to be done. Fine Gael are favouring a broad approach to benefit to all households, recognising the fact that middle income households are struggling, but they've got significant bills. They've got childcare bills. They've got mortgages or they're paying high uh, rents. And that squeezed the middle income. They're always the squeezed middle as they, as they are spoken about. And whenever there's cuts or money handed out to help out people, they always seem to be the ones to be forgotten. So Fina Gaylor saying, look, we don't want to forget about the middle income household. The Green Party, they're favouring a target approach so they would be aiming all of their benefits at lower incomes and Fina Fall sources are warning that there is a thin line between addressing the cost of living and then at the same time contributing to rising inflation because that simply won't work because if they do that if they target and address the cost of living but then inflation goes up we're back to square one we will just see costs go up even more now the finance minister Pascal Donoghue along with the public expenditure minister Michael McGrath they've now been tasked with drafting a list of potential measures which could be introduced to address the cost of living crisis and then we've got this powerful cabinet committee on economic recovery and investment and they're due to meet next Thursday and they'll discuss measures that could possibly be be introduced. And in the doll, the Thornish Delia Varadkar said the cost of living is rising faster than it has been in the last 20 to 30 years. And he said he's aware that governments in other countries are also introducing policies to address the issue. He said everyone is feeling it in their pockets. And of course, those on the lowest incomes are feeling it more than those who are not. And he does very much recognise that the government gets that. So it isn't just an issue in this country with rising costs, with rising inflation. It seems to be happening in other countries as well. But with other 
countries are saying, look, our governments are doing something about it. So now we're seeing that our government are doing the same thing. So there's a wide variety of different approaches that they can take. I suppose what I would be favouring is something that's going to benefit the most. I mean, I certainly think if they're going to give the 100 euro, and I think it'll come in at 113 euro for everyone who pays electricity, that's you know going to be a huge help to everyone. But I think the VAT on things like energy costs or maybe take a look at how much we spend on oil, on fuel, on oil and uh, diesel and petrol and diesel. Could they do something there? But then the argument is that not everybody drives the car and the Greens probably have an issue around that. But certainly I think around if they could do something to reduce energy costs and maybe one way they could do it is to reduce the VAT on, on what we pay on our gas and electricity. That certainly would benefit every household in the country. Your thoughts are welcomed on if you could have the government's ear. What do you think can be done to try to ease when it's now the spiralling cost of everything uh, with the cost of living going up on the rising cost of living and inflation and the government now looking at a range of measures aimed at trying to reduce the cost of things like energy, healthcare and education. Some of the things have been uh, considered. Mary on the Model Farm Road said, has anybody else noticed that the price of milk has gone up? Mary says about two, two or three weeks ago she noticed when she went into her local shop that the price of a litre of milk had gone up by 10 cents. So she started keeping a careful eye out when she was doing shopping in other shops and she said it seems to be across the board that milk has gone up by 10 cents. It mightn't sound like a lot, says Mary, but milk is an item that you buy most families if you've got a lot of children as well. Most families will buy more than one litre a day. Certainly in our house, we go through so much milk in our house and I know it varies. Some families use huge amount of milk compared to other families. So if there's a 10 cent gone, I hadn't noticed that myself. And Mary's making the point because it's it's kind of a commodity you grab off the shelf. If you're doing like your full shop, you put in however many, you know, like, you know, eight, 10 litres of milk, whatever it is you're buying when you're doing your shop. And you don't actually notice the individual price of an item. It's only if you were buying one litre of milk that you'd notice, God, that's gone up. And I think that's what happened with uh, Mary. So she agrees everything is going uh, up. Uh, Hi, uh, Patricia. I think the biggest problem uh, the government could do to try to, I think the biggest help that the government could do to try to help if they're looking at a range of measures to help people is to get rid of and stop the local property tax. That would be money saved for everyone who owns a, a house. Would you agree that's from Bernie in Ballinine? Abolish local property tax as a way of putting more money into people's pockets. And someone else says, Patricia, on the cost of living, simple one would be get rid of the universal social charge. That way every single worker would benefit from the very well paid down to the very low paid. And actually um, there's no name on that text, but that came up on the programme the other day. Somebody made that suggestion as well. And whatever about abolishing it, even if they could do a cut in the universal social charge. And I think it was Jim, one of our listeners, who was a man in the know. Did he say four billion the universal social charge brings in? And as somebody pointed out, it came in as an emergency measure when when times were really tough in this country, it came in a kind of, as a kind of an emergency taxation, the universal social charge. And the idea at the time was it would be brought in, get us over the hump and then it would be abolished. But of course, as we know, when taxes come in, they come in at a time when we need the most, but then they never seem to disappear. Or if they do disappear, they're very, very slow to uh, disappear. So somebody saying an, abolish or even, could I say, cut back on the universal social charge and give all workers a little bit extra in the 
their pockets. Keep your suggestions and thoughts coming as to what the government could do as the government are looking at a range of measures to trying to ease the burden on hard pressed uh, families and households. 0818 103 103. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance, cmig.ie. A Cork South West Social Democrats Deputy Holly Kearns is calling for fire and rescue service personnel to be allowed to act as first responders in emergency situations until the ambulance personnel arrives. And to discuss this further, Deputy Holly Kearns now uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Holly. Good morning, Patricia. And you're very welcome to the programme. Many people, including myself, would be surprised to hear that fire and rescue service personnel are not not already acting as first responders. What is the current situation? Yeah, at the moment, um, although they're trained, they're they're not acting as first responders all over the country, although there has been uh, work in Donegal and Kerry um, in terms of this happening, which is a great model and it's proven to be really effective. So, of course, emergency services are an essential public service and there should be no doubt or worry for any individual or family that the fire brigade or the guardie or the ambulance will respond immediately to an emergency situation. I think that has to be the bare minimum. Um, But unfortunately, that's not the case. Um, For example, in West Cork, there are four ambulances, but they often have to travel massive distances and attend, you know, life-threatening calls in the city or in Kerry on a daily basis. And that sometimes then results in there being uh, one or in many cases, no ambulances in West Cork at all. And I think we're probably all aware of the instances in recent months of like unacceptable waiting times for ambulance, paramedics being directed hundreds of kilometres away. And that's obviously deeply distressing for families. I've had a lot of people in touch with me who've been waiting crazy times for ambulances. And those fears are kind of more acute in rural areas and Cork being a particularly big county. um, I think that adds to it. So despite the best efforts of paramedics and other staff, over one third of calls had a response time in excess of an hour. That's in the first half of 2021. Um, but I've heard from families who've waited a lot longer than that, Patricia. Yeah, and we certainly uh, have people who've contacted us here as well. And there's yeah. nothing worse. You know, you don't call an ambulance unless it is an emergency. And it's a very fraught time for the patient but also for the family who are watching somebody. I know of I know of an incident that I'm, I'm aware of, of a woman having a very, very bad fall and breaking her hip. And it was a number of hours before the ambulance came. But it was the people with her having to watch her in that level of pain was very, very distressing. Exactly. And the, the National Ambulance Service um, has cited the big distances as the reasons for delays and it's a massive source of worry for people like that. We've had, I've had a similar incident with one of my neighbours. Um, it's very distressing when you're waiting for that service to come. Um, and like, it is important to note, I think, that the resourcing of the National Ambulance Service remains a larger is- issue. You know, there's an adequate number of ambulances and paramedics. But, however, those recent changes in Kerry and Donegal, they're working on allowing the fire rescue service personnel to act as first responders in emergency. So it's a very practical and a potentially life-saving measure that could be adopted in all counties as soon as possible. We have excellent fire and rescue services in County Cork, staffed with personnel that are trained as first responders, so it makes sense that they could be deployed in cases where ambulances will be delayed or, you know, where immediate ret- attention is required, you know, things like cardiac arrests. So there's towns like, you know, if you use West Cork as an example, 
you know, Skull, Castletown Bear, Bantry, Demanway, they all have fire stations with staff who, by nature of this work, are in the area, they're on call, they're available to respond, and they're trained. So that this matter was actually brought to my attention by those um, members of staff in the fire rescue services who are eager to assist people in need in their locality. They're motivated to save lives, you know, and I think I'm calling for it because I think the government could respond accordingly to that. Um, they could pursue a national policy <clears throat> and roll that out in all the counties in the country. So instead of <coughs> the um, the individual fire services and um, local paramedic services having to interact with each other, the Minister for Health and the Minister for Housing and Local Government could take leadership in the issue. Kerry and Tony Gall are ahead of the curve on this, and I was speaking to somebody in Dublin who said it, it, it is in operation in Dublin too. I'm not sure if that's true. Um, but they show that it's possible. So there's similar changes being proposed in Northern Ireland as well. There was a pilot scheme in 2016. So, so we're not talking about reinventing the wheel here. No, not at all. What we need is basically a bit of joined up thinking. So, as I said, instead of the National Ambulance Service having to separately engage with all the relevant bodies like the local authorities and the Fire and Rescue Services, the government could step in um, with all the ministers that would be, be relevant and provide a form or a mechanism for a coordinated approach, bring all the stakeholders together and allow the Fire and Rescue Services to help in these situations um, and, you know, I, do, I, I said it before, but I think it's important to note that there is ongoing issues with the ambulance service that remain. We need more ambulances based around the country and staff that work reasonable hours to be able to respond safely and effectively to emergencies. Is that a um, resource issue? I think it absolutely is. Yeah. You know, and um, we require more ambulances based everywhere. Um, you know, we have to have a service that reaches all communities in a timely manner. And from what I'm hearing from constituents, and, and to be honest, I've experienced myself with neighbours and stuff, that isn't the case at the moment. And ultimately, this is a, a measure that will help. It's not going to solve all the problems. And, you know, our air ambulance is amazing as well, and that needs to be more resourced. Um, there's, there's so many issues at play here. But this is something that we could implement immediately, Patricia, something that's been done in other counties mm. that have been piloted well, and in just the And just to point out, they are trained. Are they, they, yeah. they, they are trained as first responders. They're trained as first responders and by nature of their work, they're on call um, and they want to help. I think that's the really crucial thing to, to mention. The reason I raised this issue in result is because those workers got in touch with me to say they'd like to help in their localities. Obviously, it's their families, their friends, their neighbours who are often waiting for um, for services to come in those emergencies. And like, not only is it you know potentially life-saving, but it's also a great reassurance, I think, to people living, for example, out in the peninsulas that somebody will get to you sooner. Because we can't have a situation where, because of your geographical location, you're less likely to, to get to hospital in time. You yeah, know, it, shouldn't be, it shouldn't be a postcard lottery if you're going to get exactly. an ambulance uh, an ambulance or not. And this is not about replacing the ambulance service in any way. Absolutely not. You know, like I said, we need, we need more paramedics, we need more ambulances. They're, they're not resourced adequately and, you know, there's really amazing staff within our local paramedic service. I've spoken to them. Like, it's it's very stressful and it's very exhausting and, and they've cited embarrassment as well at arriving late to scenes like that when there really isn't anything else they can do to it if they're sent to a, a life-threatening event in Carrier in the city and then they're coming back to West Cork. They're overworked, they're tired um, and they, they're providing an incredible service doing their absolute best but without the proper resources um, unfortunately, do, they can't. 
do as good a job as they'd like. Do we still have that bottleneck that when ambulances get uh, to, in particular to the city hospitals and that they're queuing up and if there's lots of people on trolleys inside in the hospital, the ambulance then is stuck outside with their patient on a trolley in the back of the ambulance and they can't go anywhere. I'm actually not aware of what the the bottleneck is like going into hospitals. Um, mainly what I hear from constituents and the issues we've been working on is really the, the resources to make sure that emergency services get out to people in, in the more rural areas and even in the in the bigger towns in Cork, Patricia, there's are some people who've waited over two hours for um But but we need to do something about the turnaround. If an ambulance is tasked with collecting a patient, bringing them to the hospital, we've heard stories of an ambulance being stuck for two, three hours waiting to offload the patient and therefore then they're not available to go out to the next call. There has to be some system in place there that as soon as the ambulance arrives, they can get the patient into the hospital and then they're freed up again to go on the next call. Absolutely. I suppose when we're citing those cases where people are waiting two to three hours, that's potentially what the ambulance yeah, is doing during yeah, that it's time. Yeah, it's crazy. It's just, it's crazy. It's a you raised, service. You, you raised the suggestion in the doll. What response did you get? Um, it was actually got a very positive response. Um, it was Minister Malcolm Noonan taking the question and he said, you know, I actually think that's a really good idea and that he would look into it and get back to me and let me know what the progress might be. But it's something I will keep on because... It just makes perfect sense. It's a practical approach. And I suppose it's, it is important to know as well that ambulances aren't just about emergencies. They're often a key asset in transferring patients, people with additional needs for care in acute settings or even appointments. So we need the capacity in the system to ensure that that service is available to people. Um, I was dealing with a case recently with an older person in West Cork whose regular appointments in Cork City but can't be guaranteed to make them due to the unavailability of vehicles. That's a constant source of worry for them and their family too who are struggling to make alternative arrangements. And that's just simply unacceptable. We need a properly resourced ambulance service that guarantees numbers of vehicles and supported staff to ensure the best possible response time and like that the people with additional needs can get a transfer to, you know, mm. important appointments that they need to be making. Um, there's, you know, we could go on, we need other services that improve the um, emergency departments and rural hospitals out of our GP cover. Um, and that would empower paramedics. There's so many um, interlocking issues, and you referenced one in the hospital that, that I'm not fully aware of, but all these things need to be looked at. But this issue of um, allowing the fire services to step in where a patient is guaranteed to be waiting for an ambulance where they know there's going to be delayed is a very obvious and a very practical measure that has been proven to work in other counties that we could implement immediately. Okay. And I really believe the government should do this throughout the country, not just in County Cork. Okay, that's a great suggestion. Uh, Holly, we leave it there. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thanks, Patricia. Good morning to you. That is Cork Southwest uh, Dáil Deputy Holly Kearns of the Social Democrats. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. By the way, the phone lines have been extremely busy this morning, so do bear with uh, John Paul. He's doing his best to get through as many calls uh, as he can. But failing that, you can always text or WhatsApp me here to the studio 0862 103 103. Cork today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Earlier this week, I read a really interesting piece by Mary McCarthy. She's a columnist with the Irish Independent. And she was suggesting in the article an extension of the school day with extra time used to teach children non-academic lessons. So, how would 
would a suggestion like that go down with parents? Well, we decided to go to the experts. Joining me, Laura Erskine, Managing Director of the consultancy firm, The Parenting Expert. Uh, Good morning to you, Laura. Good morning. And uh, you're welcome to the programme. I imagine working parents would definitely welcome a longer school day, particularly a primary school. Absolutely. You know, it's something where, you know, it's really difficult to try and manage working and having that life balance of being able to collect your children from school, especially when school finishes so early. I mean, you've got junior and senior infants finishing at any time between one o'clock and one thirty, and then the primary school students finishing between 2.15 and and 2.30. And really, by the time you do the school drop-off at 10 to 9, you can only really get about three hours' work done. So for all those women, particularly, uh, you know, in terms of of parents who might be considering returning to work and trying to work within this remote and hybrid working scheme, it's something that, you know, it can be quite um, preclusive by, by literally you know, there's just not being enough time in the day between dropping the kids off to actually get the work done. And so if the school day was extended by even an hour to include more enriching experiences, like, for example, you know, uh, learning how to sew, doing arts and crafts, more uh, physical education, not provided by, uh, you know, fee-paying outside um, companies, but, but one that might be funded by the Department of Education, it would definitely... Uh, provide uh, parents, uh, you know, more leeway to have that remote working, but also um, it would be better for children too, considering all that they've missed out on over the last two years uh, during the pandemic. Yeah, and all children would benefit because a lot of those, you know, things that you mentioned there are sometimes done as extracurricular activities that parents have to pay for. But parents who are not in a position to pay for those classes outside of school time, their kids miss out. So by having it in a school set- setting, all children of all economic b- backgrounds would benefit. Absolutely. And that's the thing. I mean, it it can be quite difficult for parents to be able to afford to do all of these extracurricular activities and indeed the ferrying of kids around the place to bring them to them, um, which which means then that it's, again, more difficult to work. But when you think about the school facilities that are there, uh, the children who are there with their friends that might like to complete these activities with their friends, if we maximise the opportunity of using school facilities and we maybe even divert some of the money that's going into childcare um, and use that for a more enriching school experience. And that's something that's worth considering. And, and, you know, the cost of after-school care for a child can be as much as a full-time place for a baby because there's so little in terms of services that are available. So, you know, providing this in terms of, of... both improving our children's mental uh, well-being as well as their physical health by offering greater variety of sports and can only be better for for the nation as a large, Mm. you know, as well as as, uh, making things easier for parents who may wish to contribute to the tax intake of the government and return to work. Do we know how does our school day at primary school compare to other countries? You know, it's it's quite short. When you look at at the likes of France, they're in there until four or five. In France, actually, they dedicate an entire hour a day to physical education because their school day is longer. And they see that as very important in terms of helping children to be able to concentrate better on their academic subjects 
um, by including more physical education and sporting activities throughout the school day um, for, you know, to allow them to be able to focus better. Uh, in, in Irish schools, because the school day is so short, we dedicate an hour a week at best to uh, to physical education. And, and so I'm not suggesting that the school teachers have a longer day uh, because we all know that there's a lot of work done after the, the school bell rings. But actually, that there's more investment by the Department of Education to add resources to schools to be able to provide these these kinds of extracurricular activities, greater access to sport, um, and to make it an opt-in service for children and parents that will provide also help to provide um, a greater support for parents who are trying to to work within this new remote working hybrid model. The fact, the, the fact, and you mentioned that the, jun- the junior and the senior infants get out uh, earlier. Can that be a nightmare if you've got children of different ages? I, I mean, are some parents constantly... Uh, oh, listen. <laughs> you, exactly. Um, Sitting in the car, yeah. waiting. But the, the thing is, is that there's so many rules now, especially with COVID, that you can only drop your child to school at a very specific time because they're trying not to have a, a number of children all arriving at the ta- same time. So they're staggered arrivals and pickups. And if you have a child who's in Montessori and then they finish at 12 o'clock and then you've got a child in junior or senior infants and they'll finish somewhere between 1 and one thirty, and then a child in primary school that finishes between 2 and 2.30 and then a child perhaps in secondary school that might finish between somewhere between 3 and 4. You just spend your life in the car and the poor younger children are, are being handed phones to, to keep them entertained, uh, you know, as, as they're sitting waiting for their older siblings. Because there's no point school. going home between each drop or each collection. Exactly, exactly. So it's, it can be very difficult yeah, to manage. Yeah, so certainly it would, it would, it would get around uh, that issue. And I'm also thinking, because I mentioned it yesterday, there are a number of vacancies in different sectors and employers now are really scrambling to get employees uh, to, to come to work. I mean, for, for the parents who can't go out to work because of this shorter school days, childcare is so uh, expensive. If children were in school longer, would it free up a cohort of people who perhaps would consider going back to work? It would massively. And the thing is, is that parents would be willing to also, you know, pay a subsidised payment to schools to be able to provide these services. I know that in my own son's school, there is an after school service it is subsidised by the Department of Education and my daughter's school, the same story, except for, you know, you have to pay full price and there seems to be no subsidy there. I don't know why one school has been, uh, you know, given preferential treatment over the other. But, you know, the, the small subsidy, subsidy would be worthwhile rather than, than paying these exorbitant prices for private companies for the extracurricular activities and indeed for, uh, you know, after-school care, where children, once they reach a certain age, they just don't want to go because it's full of very young children um, and they're bored. Mm. So they would much rather be with their friends uh, and engaging in in more uh, after-school activities. I mean, and that could include doing homework. It could could include extra sports uh, and then access to things that they wouldn't ordinarily get access to, like some arts and crafts, some, some of those life skills we spoke about, even even learning self-defense and karate and judo and, and all that kind of thing. There's, there's huge scope for, for the government to provide a more enriching childhood 
by using the school facilities and subsidising some of those private companies to maybe come in and provide those services. Yeah, Liz, one of our our listeners says, fantastic uh, suggestion. Liz says, I was watching TV the other night and there was a piece on that there's a pilot programme, a similar pilot programme happening in Wales where a number of schools have been selected and children are going to stay in the classroom doing uh, extra activities such as dance, martial arts and cooking. Are you aware of that? They're trialling it in Wales? Yes, absolutely. And and 14 schools have been selected to do that. And I mean, I don't understand why we couldn't do the same thing here. We The school facilities are there. It's just about finding the companies then to provide these services. And, and it's not like each classroom has to stay together. You could have the mixing of, of children of different ages, you know, doing different activities and learning. And it's something that I think parents and children would be very receptive to. Unfortunately, it does come down to funding, ultimately. And and that's where we, we would need to get the Department of Education on board. OK, Marie in Charleville says, I'd be interested in Laura's view on our school holidays. Are our school holidays too long? A nightmare for working parents. They are indeed. And we spend most of our time trying to... Um, to to organise summer camps um, and very often those summer camps start at 10 and finish somewhere around 2 and then you're trying to to organise pickups and drop-offs as you try and do a, a full working day. It, it can be a nightmare for parents and um, the long school holidays and certainly they do seem to be at least two weeks longer uh, for um, primary school students than our European counterparts. Having said that, you know, it, it's very expensive to go away on holidays during summer. And if we do shorten the school holidays, it's going to become even more expensive because you'll have more people trying to go away at the same time. Well, I know when we looked into the history of our long holidays, particularly the secondary school ones, they were designed in an era where children were needed to go work on farms. and were needed That's to exactly do- it. <laughs> they were designed for, for a very, very uh, different uh, era. OK, a lot of, I can see a lot of people are saying, what a great idea, even an extra hour a day, one listener said would make all the difference. Somebody else says, has remote working helped the working parent with the drop-off and collection times at schools? It definitely has because, you know, you can you can log back on a whole lot quicker because invariably your, your school is located very close to your home and getting back home and without having to, to juggle that commute into maybe perhaps a city um, has definitely helped. And that's, I suppose, what the idea of this is, is, is having that greater life balance uh, and and with the, the removal of the commute time, parents can get more work done um, and also be there to pick up their children. And that is the thing. I mean, it's, it's not like we don't want to spend time with our children and we want our, our, the schools to, to provide childcare as such. It's more just, just a little bit of balance to be able to, for a realistic return to work. Okay, and someone, and I, I do think this is an unfair comment. Why, why are parents, uh, why are both parents working if they're having a problem with dropping and collecting their children from school? But that's a bit unfair. There are many double income families have no choice, but with a high mortgage or high rents, uh, they've no choice, Laura. But both have to go out to work. Yes, exactly. You know, it, it's a case of. Um you know, the mortgages today uh, and the price of, of getting on the property ladder and indeed rental incomes are often higher than mortgages now. You know, both parents do have to work. It's a necessity, unfortunately. What is most difficult and frustrating for parents is when, you know, they go out to work and they're only working to pay for childcare. 
Um, and of course, it's very important for some parents in terms of their career that they need to stay in work as well in terms of maintaining their career. Okay, can I hear a smallie in the background there yes, with you? you can. <laughs> I see. You're, you're, you're great at it. You're great at it. Listen, Laura, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that. And I'll let you back to the small one. Thanks a million. Thank you. Thanks for joining Good us. Morning. That is uh, Laura Erskine there, Managing Director of the Consultancy Firm, the Parenting Expert on that. It was just as I say, it was floated as a suggestion by the Irish Independent uh, columnist that maybe the government would consider extending the primary school day uh, to help out in. No, not just to help out working parents. The obvious one is it would help out working parents. But I think even listening to Laura, it would benefit children as well. The idea that they, the children would be in class with their peers doing extracurricular activity, perhaps extracurricular activity that some parents can't afford to pay for while other parents can. Whereas if it was available at the school, then everyone would benefit uh, from it. So your thoughts welcomed on that. And we'll watch with great interest what's happening in Wales because as I say, they are starting a this week, 14 primary and secondary schools are taking part in the pilot scheme, which will see the school children stay on in the classroom for an extra uh, hour. One who is against it is a listener to say, uh, kids have enough of school, no more extra hours. I heard that story on the English news. They're trying it in Wales, this country. We're copying other countries. Our kids have enough. Yeah, but I wonder if you speak to the children. It is isn't that they're doing academic studies, they're doing extracurricular stuff. And if you speak to some children who maybe are not don't have art class available, don't have dance, drama class available, they're the type of classes that would be available. I think children would hugely, hugely benefit uh, from it. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Lots of people noticing the increase in uh, costs. Uh, somebody said, I was in uh, my local butcher uh, looking to get some meat, uh, chicken, 12 euro, a piece of beef, not the size of a small glass, 18 euro. As, as others noticed, the price of meat has uh, gone up, even though somebody gave, an, gave a reason for the price of food in general going up. Somebody said this is one of the reasons why we're going to see an increase in our food prices farmers are having to take out loans just to pay for fertiliser this year. In some cases uh, a tonne of fertiliser has tripled in uh, price. Yeah, farmers are really getting it uh, are, are really noticing additional costs going up and of course the knock-on is that food prices are going to go up as well uh, because of that. Okay, and then people coming up with suggestions of what can the government do because we know that the three government leaders of the three government parties are asking all of their ministers to draft up policy proposals aimed at easing the financial burden uh, because we've, we're in record rates of inflation now and they're asking them to look across you know, a whole host of different areas looking at the electricity costs are there ways that they can pass savings on there, healthcare costs uh, any form of taxation everything seems to be on the table and one of the suggestions that is on the table that they would look at in some way reducing road tax, your car tax, would that would help out uh, families with uh, cars. Tony in Mallow on that one says, Patricia, a lot of families with two, with two adults working will have two cars. The second car is just to get the other adult to and from uh, work and usually it's a newer car and an older car. Bringing the older motor tax system in line with the current motor tax system would certainly offer relief to those hard-pressed families. And Tony cites an example for us. He said a one 
1.6 litre car which was registered before 2009. The annual motor tax on that car is €514. But the same equivalent car, 1.6 litre car registered after 2009 the road, annual road tax there can be as little as €200. Euro. So over €400 euro of a difference, even if they brought in a 50% reduction in motor tax. Everyone who drives a car certainly would benefit there. And that's from Tony in uh, Mallow. Uh, thank you for that, uh, Tony. Hi, Patricia. My son told me it is €3 euro to dry the clothes at the filling station, says Sheila. Now, I'm, I'm assuming by your comment, has that gone up? Was it, was, well, of course, like with electricity prices going up, of course, that is going to go up uh, as well. 0818103103. Now, we were also looking at ambulance uh, in the last hour and d- that then led to... D- I was talking about delays in ambulance uh, services. Somebody says, could a case be brought against the health department if somebody died while waiting for an ambulance? I don't know. If you could prove the person died because the ambulance didn't arrive, but would they be able to defend it by saying they got there as quickly as possible? But yeah, one one would say a solicitor would would certainly look at it for you. And then Michael says, uh, hi, Patricia. I've said this to you before, but I'm going to repeat it again. We need another air ambulance. Are more road ambulances the answer? I doubt it, said Michael in Castletown Bear, because we don't have the road structures suitable for them. Ambulances, to put it mildly, those ambulances are not built for our roads in rural areas. Getting a seriously ill patient from the peripheral parts of the county to any hospital in the city has a more serious effect on the patients than what the ambulance was called for with the rattling and the shaking they get, which is nothing at all to do with personal now, definitely at least we need another air ambulance. There has to be a massive shake up in this area in the interest of saving lives. And if any particular hospital is not capable to receive a patient immediately, then on to the next. And you could be there in a matter of mil- minutes if it was an air ambulance. That is from Michael in Castletown Bear. Thank you for that, uh, Michael. And then a number of people talking about the issue we also addressed in the last hour about should the government and should the Department of Education look at extending the primary school day, making it a longer day, extending it by an hour, an hour and a half in the evening time. And the suggestion would be it wouldn't be for academic. It wouldn't be that the children would be doing more reading, writing and maths. Instead, they'd be doing kind of the extracurricular stuff that a number of parents already pay for their children to do, like have dance classes, have art classes, have uh, more PE, have drama, have, you know, all the extracurricular type uh, activities. Somebody said, fantastic idea to extend the school hours is from the girls in uh, Mallow. Children would love it as well to be in with their peers doing all of the different activities. Somebody says, good luck to anyone who wants to change the teacher's mindset and ask them to work a longer day. They would be out on strike immediately. But I think the suggestion when I was speaking with Laura Erskine is it wouldn't be the teachers would be doing it because the teachers would say that they've got to be prepping for the next uh, day. But you'd bring in like drama 
teachers, you'd bring in art teachers, you'd bring in PE teachers, you'd bring in people with skills to do the extracurricular activities. And Christine in Cork, thank you for your text. Christine says, I think the proposal to bring practical subjects into primary school is a very, very good idea. Some children are not academic, so they don't like going to school. Having a practical class in the middle of the day would encourage them to go to school. It would raise their self-esteem and they might actually do better in the other subjects as a result. And that's a positive that I hadn't thought about, uh, Christine. Thank you for that. Hi, Patricia. Listening to you talk about the lack of ambulances and Deputy Holly Kearns in the last hour saying more money needs to be put into the ambulance service. Wouldn't you think the government would get more satisfaction paying for more services instead of the exorbitant wages that they give to some of the staff involved in health? I speak about Paul Reid and uh, Robert Watt. Paul Reid is earning almost double the amount that the President of the United States gets. And Paul Reid running the HSE is what this listener feels is running a failing service with a population less than New York. What is wrong with the people of this country that we're accepting these high wages? The high up paper pushers should hang their heads in shame. The system is too top heavy with too many jobs for the uh, boys. Uh, thank you for that. No name on that. Joe in Domamway. Oh, this is a tip for our last listener who was on with us there, Eleanor in Carrigaline, who was talking about, she lives on her own, buying a full slice pan that it's too much for her, that she wouldn't go through a full slice pan and then it starts to go off and she hates throwing food away as we all do. And yet if she goes and buys, and I can never understand this, the half slice pan is often more expensive than the whole slice pan. Never, never, can never, ever understand that. But you'll see that in supermarkets. If you just want to buy the little half slice pan, which is perfectly suitable for somebody living on their own and it won't go off and you'll use it maybe a couple of slices of toast every morning and you'll, you'll be able to use it and then replace it with another half slice pan. But it'll be more expensive than buying the full loaf. But if Eleanor buys the full loaf, half of it's going to end up in the bin after a few days because it will be gone off. Joe in Dunmanway has a suggestion. Should I always buy the large loaf of bread? And what I do is I separate it into plastic bags then I pop them into the freezer. I buy loaf and uh, one big loaf ends up in three small loaves. Well worth trying. That's a really jolly good suggestion. And then you can take out the however many slices you've popped into the freezer bags. You can take those out and they'll be defrosted for the next day. Can I add another tip? What you can do, particularly if it's toast you like, you can take bread straight from the freezer and pop it into the toaster and toast it. And you've got fresh bread toasted all the time by doing that as well. So that might be a suggestion for anybody living on their own, struggling with throwing out fresh, throwing out, well, it isn't fresh by the time you throw it, you're throwing it out, but it, it is certainly annoying. And then looking for ways that the government could ease the spiralling cost of uh, living. And we know that's what the government are doing at the moment. Liam says, Trisha, I'm back to you again about the US sea tax. Liam had texted us earlier in the week about this. I just heard in the news that the government are getting all the departments to look at everything. Why don't they do the decent thing and get rid of this emergency tax? When the government and Ireland were in trouble it was the PAYE worker who bailed the country out. Isn't it about time that the government showed some respect to us and at least get rid of this tax that they brought in? We looked into that. They brought it in in 2011 when we had the emergency in this country and we needed money. Now I did see, when I did some research on this during the week, I did see an article 
and it was from actually November of last year, just the end of last year, 2021, where it was put to Pascal Donoghue, the finance minister, would he consider abolishing the universal social charge for those earning less than €70,000? So anyone above 70000 would continue paying the universal social charge, but those below would get away with having no universal social charge. And he said at the time that it would cost the Exchequer £1.7 billion annually. There's a lot of money comes in on the USE charge. So to abolish it entirely, it would cost the Exchequer £4.4 That's in a single year. That's what the USC charge brings in. If you were to replace it with a social charge of, say, 10% on incomes over 90000 that would only bring in £1.5 So there would be a shortfall. But four billion is what it would bring in. It was suggested that what you could do, I think it was the people before Prophet Richard Boy, Boy Barrett, that what you could do is you could abolish it for people under €120,000 and then you would but in order to make it cost neutral, you would have to replace the USE with a new 14% rate on those earning over 120,000. So that's going back to a tax on wealth. Uh, but low earners would certainly uh, would save because they wouldn't have to pay the USE. But it is 4.4 billion. It is a tax that brings in a huge amount of money and bringing in that kind of money. I can't see it being abolished anytime soon, much as we'd love to see it abolished. 0818 103 103. C103 Jobs. The Laura Lynn Foundation, they are recruiting a regional hub team leader. Now, you need to have experience in children's palliative care and it's for their services here in Cork. You can get details on the Laura Lynn Foundation website. Construction worker, Wanderford Kundrahad, CVs to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. While the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland, they're looking for care workers in the North Cork area for their home care and day care at home services. Full details are available on the C103 webpage or you can email a cover letter in a CV to recruit at alzheimer.ie. Avenue newspaper Mitchellstown looking for somebody with a knowledge of graphic design software. It's for the position of newspaper page layout artist. Now training will be provided. Please apply with, by email to editor at avendupress.ie You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Now last Tuesday, St. Bridget's Day, saw the launch of a crime thriller called Blinding Lies, which is the debut novel by Tracton based author Amy Cronin and I had it read in a little over 24 hours last weekend. Why? Because I simply couldn't put the book down and I needed to find out how it ended and I'd like to say Amy Cronin the author joins me. Good morning to you Amy. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well yeah, you, and, and thank you for taking time out to, to talk to us. They say we all have a book in us and I have to say with your storylines you certainly have more than one book in you. Have you always wanted to write? Yes, it's been a dream since I was very young and I did always write stories and kept a diary, did everything I could to just keep writing. Um, But it wasn't until recently that I had a full plot formed and enough for a book. And then that book turned out to be a trilogy in the end. So um, 
I suppose I started it in 2009 and I began writing in a more focused way during the pandemic. I'm just delighted now that it's out um, and readers can enjoy it, hopefully. And what was it about the pandemic that made you get so focused to start really writing it and really getting it down on paper? Um, The book is, um, it's all action, I guess. And it was completely different to everything that was happening in the world at the time. Obviously, we were all scared and stressed. And I found that writing was something I could do to take myself away from that for a few hours each day. And I did have a big birthday as well during lockdown. And it all just kind of merged together as this push to do something for myself and see how far I could take it. Well done, well done. And you've done really really well. How structured were you, though, about the writing? Because you've got a busy life as well. Yes, I started in 2019 and I would write then whenever I could. Um, Sometimes that was bringing the laptop in the car down to the Tracton GA pitch when my kids were training and sitting in the car to write and being very antisocial, but having to get the words done. Um, With the pandemic, then when we were on lockdown and homeschooling, I just grabbed time whenever I could because I was writing in the kitchen and you know, once the kids were kind of sorted and school was done and they had gone off to play, I'd sit down then at the space and write. Um, But I found it just so different to the daily news feeds. It really took my mind out of that just for that little bit of time. Mm. And it was great for me. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not giving anything away because you have said it, it, it is a trilogy. But when you started writing, did you know in your head where the characters were going? No, it's very strange, I guess, but I do I do have a start, a middle and an end. Um, and then when I sit down, I just go with what's in my head on that day. I know, for example, this chapter, I'm taking Anna to a particular place and see what happens. And the more I got to know the characters, the more their story developed for me as things went on. Um, I did know that I was ending the first book without answering everything. And I knew there'd be a follow up to that. Um, But still, it was very much unstructured and kind of flowed as I as I was writing. And are all three books now written? Yes, um, the third book is still with me. It hasn't gone to my publisher yet. The second book will be available in stores in the autumn. That's the plan. And hopefully then the third one will follow soon after that. And I love the fact that it is set in Cork. Was that important Mm -hmm. to you to set it in Cork? It was something that helped me to anchor myself into the story. And initially, when I knew what was happening in the story, I was kind of feeling protective about Cork and I wanted Mm. to set it somewhere else. But then every time I was trying to come up with somewhere else, all I was describing was Cork. So in the end, I did base it in Cork, but I changed a few places. For example, the Lee Street Garda station doesn't exist in yeah. real life. It's based on the Riverley. But it felt um, it felt really natural and definitely more involved to keep it somewhere that I knew. And, um, you know, Cork is my home, so it, it was more natural to write the story in Cork. Yeah, and and even Kate going back to her childhood home in Kinsale or the area where she grew Mm. up that, you know, and obviously that's an area you you know well. Do you know what I loved? Amy Cronin managed to build the event centre. 
Oh, I know I did. But that was wishful thinking. <laughs> <big time. laughs> I call it the Rebel Event Centre. And yeah. if anyone wants that title, they can freely have it. Uh, well done. I think it would be great. Yeah, uh, I have pictured in my head. It's down by the marina and it's a beautiful place and it features heavily in the second book as well. It does. It. Um, but yeah, absolute wishful thinking. Have you thought of it as a TV drama? The one thing I have to say when I was reading it last weekend, TV dramas like, uh, from an Irish point of view, Kin or Love, Hate, uh, any of the CSI's line of duty, they're all in there. Yeah, um, I would love to see Cork brought to the screen. Um, All these shows are fantastic and Cork streets offer everything, you know, cinematic. And I'd love to see that happen. And a lot of people have said to me that it's quite cinematic reading. So you never know what the future holds. It would certainly be great. Well, I, I think the fact that I couldn't put it down last weekend, I was I was talking about it earlier to one of the lads in the office and I was just making the point. It just reminded me as if I was watching a series on television where where you've downloaded, yeah, you've got the box set and you just, oh God, I've, I've got to get to the end of it. I've got to find out what happens. So I can't yeah, wait for great. the I can't wait for the second book. Thank you. Someone told me they were reading Blinding Lies and they were listening to the news coming on the radio and they expected a news update <laughs> on one of the storylines from the book, which I thought was brilliant, just wonderful. Um, but it, it, I'm glad, so glad you enjoyed it. Now, you, it was officially launched last week, but you, it, it was available on Amazon. You did have it out before it's had its official launch. Yes. Um, so Poolbeck decided to bring it out on available on Kindle and Amazon print on demand. And then I guess when things maybe stabilised a bit more in the world, when COVID restrictions became um, eased, they decided to bring it to shops as well. And I'm just thrilled. There's something very special about picking up your book from a bookshelf in a bookstore. It's fantastic to see it out there. Yeah, have, be, be honest, have you walked into bookshops to see is your book there? It's a big plan for me now this weekend. Um, I've done a brief trip around, a quick look in, but it, it, I just can't wait. And to bring the kids in as well and have them look at it on the shelves would be fantastic. I, I remember the late great Maeve Binchy uh, many years ago uh, telling me that when she first had her first uh, book, uh, one of her first books published, she used to walk around the, the Dublin bookshops uh, looking and if she went in and she'd make sure that her book was out on the front and she'd be in without anybody. <laughs> <laughs> just just to idea. make sure, but it's 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 great. It listen, it's fantastic. And the process then of writing a book and giving it to a publisher, and then mm-hmm. is 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 that very difficult from from an author's point of view? Um, it is. There's many stories out there online of authors where it took years um, to get the attention of a publisher. Um, I was very lucky because I submitted to Poolbeg and they quickly got back to me looking for the rest of the book and then they offered me the contract. And I chose Poolbeg because I'm a massive fan of Andrea Mara's writing Mm -hmm. and she started her publishing journey with them. So I've been very lucky. It's been a quick process, but it it can be a very long process. But it's great to work with Poolbeg. There's so many elements to publishing books that the writer doesn't know anything about and self-publishing is it works for a lot of people but there's a lot involved in that as well 
So I was thrilled to bits when Poolbeg were interested in blinding lights. Okay, and will we ever find out what happens to Anna's parents? Does that ever come out? Yes. Oh, so great. It does. Okay, so great. Yes. Oh, I might have a bit of a wait, but we, we will find out. And at the, as you say, you've got the, the third book is done. Are you already yeah. in your head? Have you already idea for what's next? Yes, I do. It's, huh. I have so many ideas. It's to pick one and stick with that one and try and see that through to the end of a book. There's lots happening inside inside my mind now in my imagination. And you, the rea- what reaction are you getting so far? Oh, it's very positive. It's brilliant. Um, a lot of people are kind of demanding the second book and a few people have read it because I, I saw it on Kindle the other day and then they're asking about the third book so it's a wonderful reaction and it's it's a great relief um, because when you're writing you don't know you write alone and you're with your characters and you don't know if this will read well and you don't know if readers will be gripped and that's the name of the game really to offer your readers kind of exactly what the book gave me which is a bit of escapism and a couple of hours whereby they're just gripped when something and turning the next page. So um, that reaction has been great. People have been very positive. Well, it, it is very readable. I was gripped and you have developed really likeable characters. And that's what certainly for a trilogy, you've got to like the characters and you've got to want them to do well. And you've got to want to know what happens uh, to them. It is terrific. Uh, it is in, as they say, all good bookshops published by Pool Beg, Amy Cronin's Blinding Lies. Uh, Amy, I look forward to chatting to you for um, book number two. But thanks a million for taking time out to talk to us today. Thank you so much. Good morning to you. Bye bye. Amy bye. Cronin there on, on her first, her debut crime thriller, Blinding Lies. If you want a good read, let's just go out and get yourself a copy of it. It really is a great book. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Tomorrow's Saturday, Creative Bandon. They're a group that work to build community through the arts, are holding a service, a series of events to celebrate St. Bridget's Day and the start of spring. To find out what is planned, I'm joined by Marguerite McQuaid of Creative Bandon. Bandon. Good morning to you, Marguerite. Hello there, how are you doing? I'm very well and you're very welcome. Now, besides the celebration of St. Bridget's Day and the celebration of the start of, of spring, are you also using the opportunity to mark the ending of restrictions? Yeah, that was um, we really wanted to do this last year and we were really in the thick of it then, so we really weren't able to. So this year we thought we really had to and then we found out that next year is going to be a bank holiday, so we had to get ahead of the game. <laughs> <laughs> had to be first in there. Now, yeah. the, the Monster Mummers will see the Straw Boys come to town. Yeah. Talk yeah. to me about the Mummers. Well, the the mummers was very was very tied to the seasons, and the, traditionally, they, um, they they were supposed to bring good luck to weddings, and that's supposed to to usher in the seasons. I think particularly in Maiden, in Beltane, and um, obviously in Sowing with the Halloween, they were they were famous for their turn up. What do you call them? Jack o' lanterns, and um, and also in Bridget's Day where they carry a bridog through town, and it's about. Um, 
the the beginning of the beginning the summer is happening uh, we're bringing the light and uh, generally what they would do would, would do in traditionally it was they would do collections so they could then have a party like a community party but in this uh, for for modern day times we tend to do it for uh, charity and do we know why where the name mummers came from mummers Maybe because they were they were wearing straw heads, so they were kind of muffled. Okay, and they're uh, sort of mums. Yeah, maybe that yes. was it. Maybe that that was it. Yes, uh-huh. and and they'll come. They're they're going to be in town tomorrow in the full straw outfits. In the full straw regalia, and we're looking for volunteers to help. Um, and we we have some fantastic uh, traditional musicians as well. We've got Enniskeen Kiltus, and um, they'll be playing in the old um, fish market corner, and then um, the straw boys will be parading. Through town and right round the loop, and then we have storytelling in the um, in in the uh, Howard's Court. But we'll be collecting for a really St Bridget was um, also the patron saint of small animals, yeah. and um, we're going to be collecting for uh, West Court ca- community cats. Okay, um, I think we you know cats are often overlooked, and they, they they're a really worthy charity. You know, they help. Well done. Well, well, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. well done. And I know I saw the. The, there's an event inspired by Bandon's Mary Taff. Yes, yes, Tell, yes. Remind yes. us about Mary. Well, Mary Taff was, um, she worked for the Department of Agriculture and um, she was a pioneer very much in her day. She was a poultry instructress and she would go around farms in the area and instruct, help women to, to, well, to help in, uh, increase income, which uh, farmers' wives were very much tied to what was happening in the, on, the major, on the major calendar. But um, this was able for them to leverage their own income and have some independence. So um, Ruth Healy in Uru is um, having um, a conversation with uh, three three other uh, food pioneers in the area, and uh, it's a really it's a really um, lovely because it will be the first time they've had an event in in the shop for two years, yeah. and Ruth is really great for for celebrating local communities. So so it's great to be working with her on it. Okay, and that's kicking off at five o'clock tomorrow. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and then yeah. the straw what time would can we expect the straw boys in town? The straw boys <laughs> will be hitting off from the farmers market at about six four six twenty. Okay. Yeah, and then so they'll parade down towards the um the fish market where the Kyoltis is and then we'll go parade back up on the quay through to Howard's Court where the storytelling will begin. And we have great uh, we have really renowned storytellers. Um and it's really just about us uh you know, the restrictions have you know, they've done so much in terms of isolating people mm. and, you know, it's been very difficult for people to have celebrations or come together. So it's a way of, to, of trying to mark that. And also, I think, just being closer to our seasons makes sense. Um, you know, we're still famous in, uh, across the world for Halloween, but um, these were all about us celebrating what happened in, on in nature. And and that can only be a good thing if, you know, there's a lot of wisdom in being tied into nature. And there's a lot of ways, actually, to celebrate the season. Um, and Bridget's Day was always traditionally the first, but it's, it's, it commemorates Imbolc, which is the, the, the Celtic festival, and that's actually between the 2nd and the 7th of um, February. And that's where... You know how New Range, um, New Grange lights up in Hallow in um, sorry New Year, uh, on the mound of Eftara. 
and there's a tomb called uh, the Tomb of the Hostages, and that lights up some at some point between the second and the seventh of uh, February. Oh, so I that's, didn't where, know that. that's where yeah. Imbolc. Uh, that's where Imbolc comes from, right? Okay, yeah. So it is the start of spring, and we've got so much hope and so much to look forward to as well. And that's yeah. that's really what it's all about. Yeah, exactly, Patricia. Okay, yeah, so yeah. people are more than welcome to to join you all in Bandon yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, everything's free, it? um, and it's just about us all being together, being safe, and and I suppose welcoming and the light back into into the year. Well done. And I imagine with it being a bank holiday weekend next year, you'll be yeah. do, you'll be doing it all over again on a bank holiday weekend, will you? <laughs> Hopefully. Oh, Hopefully you will indeed. <laughs> you will indeed. Listen, pleasure to talk to you, Marguerite. Thank you for that. Oh, thank and you so enjoy much. enjoy your day tomorrow as well. Thank you. It's about. Thank you, uh, bye bye. That is uh, Marguerite McQuaid of Creative Bandon with that free event kicking off at five tomorrow evening. If you're in and around uh, Bandon, uh, particularly I think for the children, maybe some younger children may, may never have seen the Straw Boys. I was looking at some pictures of the Straw Boys and the Monster Mummers. Uh, they're, they're they're quite intricate. Uh, costumes that they wear and I imagine they must be so uncomfortable bearing in mind that they're completely made of straw and you know their heads are covered uh, as well so good luck to everybody involved in that that's happening in Bandon tomorrow You're listening to Cork Today on Replay Phone and text lines are currently closed Just a couple of things that I want to give a quick mention to uh, Joe Heffernan and the CD that Joe is involved with for the Air Ambulance. They are now can be purchased at Collins Centra in Drimalig and in Sam Kingston's shop in Drina. Thank you for that because I know we had a number of calls in from people who wanted to purchase them in West Cork uh, because they want to get their hands on the CD but also they know how important the community Air Ambulance is. So well done to Joe. Keep a look out for those CDs on sale in a usually a local supermarket near you. The Supermarkets have been great and the shops have been great to help out in taking the CDs in and selling them for Joe on behalf of the community air ambulance. And just something that's been going on behind the the scenes that we wouldn't necessarily have been talking about on air. But we, it's it's kind of relevant to what we're talking about today with the cost of living and people talking about everything going up in price. And if you are living on a very small budget and you're living from week to week and you've got all of your money allocated, when anything starts to go up or there's an emergency, it can really just throw off your budget completely. And we know time and time again from various interviews that we've done over the years that there is such a thing as food poverty. When people need to save a bit of money or have an extra bill has come in or the electricity bill is higher than what they were expecting, the only thing that people can save on, these are families on a very you know limited budget, the only thing they feel they can save on is food. And people... In, you know, here, it's just hard to believe that people here in Cork City and County can end up with no food, little or, and sometimes no food at all in the cupboard. And every now and again, we will get people contacting us to see if we can suggest where they can go for help. And obviously it's done quietly in the background and we don't go on about it on air unless we need to put a shout out if we need help uh, for people uh, for, for a particular case. But over the last week or so, I suppose, we've had a few calls in from families who are really struggling at the moment. And some were looking for help from the likes of, say, Penny Dinners, the wonderful Penny Dinners in the city. Now, there was one family in particular... Uh, 
we were contacted by and they were just too embarrassed about going to penny dinners themselves. This is a family that had children involved. So we made contact with Katrina Toomey, who's just herself and her team were just incredible. And we passed on numbers of people with, obviously, the, the, we asked the people, was it okay to pass the numbers on? And then very quietly, very discreetly, Katrina made contact with these people and sorted them out because you just, you cannot even begin to think what it must be like to be living in a house with children and there's no food in the cupboard. I mean, I just can't even get my head around what that would be like to have, to say to a child going to bed hungry because there's no food in the house. It just doesn't bear thinking of. So the great fantastic work that goes on at Penny Dinners. Just amazing. Just amazing. So just to acknowledge what Katrina has done. But when we were talking to Katrina then she actually filled us in on something that had happened. It was the week between Christmas and New Year we had a young lad, a young man who had contacted us who was found himself in, in a dreadful situation and no money in the house, no food in the house and we again put him in contact with Katrina at Penny Dinners and there were some neighbours got involved and helped him out and Katrina said just to update us on that particular story that that family now are in a much better place and they're doing well. They just needed a little bit of help during that week between Christmas and New Year when most of us had so much food in our house we didn't know what we were going to eat next or how we were even going to get through it and yet there was a family in Cork really, really struggling. So just to let people know because I know that particular story touched uh, a number of people and well done because neighbours, there was neighbours in that area really helped out uh, as well. And then Dan uh, had contacted us uh, during the week on behalf of some of the residents from the Sunnis Apartments in Knocknahini. And Dan contacted us because there is a dryer where the residents in the utility room with the residents dry their clothes and it's been broken for weeks and Dan says the residents have been getting on to Cork City Council nothing was happening and he got on to us to say could we do anything so we said look we'll bang an email off and see if we can be of any help well Dan has been back to us to say that following us getting on to Cork City Council don't know whether it was a coincidence or not but somebody turned up officials from City Hall arrived and they have sorted out the situation with the dryer and it's back working and they're all happy again in that apartment block in Nakhnehini. Thank you Dan for the update on that and thank you to Elizabeth in Kinsale who was listening to me chatting with Amy Cronin who's just launched a new uh, crime thriller based in Cork and it's just there was something lovely to see a crime thriller based in Cork because you were imagining in your head where the various characters uh, were. Elizabeth Kinsale has also read the book and she said it was amazing. She said Amy Cronin the author is fantastic. Yeah I can't wait for book number two and book number three uh, to come out uh, for sure. Thank you for that. Okay, some of your texts coming into the programme on things going up. Hi Patricia, you're talking about the price of bread. I am receiving €224 a week. It is a carer's allowance. I need a filling on my front tooth and I can't get a dentist under the medical card scheme. It's €120 to have the tooth filled. You take €120 from €224 and I tell you, you don't have much left for electricity, food or fuel for the car. So the price of a sliced pan is the last thing I'm worried about at uh, the moment. And that's uh, that's another issue that we have spoken about so many times. People on the medical card trying to access a dentist. We've got a huge, huge issue uh, with that. And somebody else is making that suggestion about the bread. Winnie in Bantry says, I heard you discussing the listeners having difficulty with the uh, with their slice pan. When I buy a slice pan, 
I then divide it because like exactly what you said, the smaller loaves are more expensive than the larger loaves when you're trying to get value for money. So I buy the large loaf. I divide it into three lots of six slices each and put the three lots of six slices into the freezer. You can put them into small plastic bags, actually. Winnie and Bantry says the compostable ones that you get in the supermarket, you know, if you're getting your bananas or your, or your apples, they work perfectly and you always that way have fresh bread and then I was saying yeah and I've done that and I've taken bread straight from the freezer and popped it into the toaster and you've got your toast somebody was on to say Dennis Moxford who was always listening to us in Oxford we love to have our overseas listeners as well says hi Patricia the suggestion of putting frozen bread into the toaster is highly dangerous as when the bread is defrosting in the toaster it causes water and electricity to mix together resulting in possible electrocution Please discourage this. Oh, hang on, take. I've been doing it for years, Dennis, and I've never had a problem. And then while he sent that in, he went off then and he did a little bit of research on it. And he's come back and said the reason toasters and waters do not work well together is because of the high temperature a toaster does not insulate all of the wires. And therefore, you can expose live wires carrying a current from the main socket to the open air. That's the reason that you never stick anything into a toaster like a knife, for example, because there are live wires. Anyway, Dennis and his research says water will conduct electricity. So if the toaster gets flooded with water, it may create a short circuit to anything it comes in contact with. But small droplets and humidity does not expose the same dangers. So a toaster will not have any problems with the water that might be in bread, even if it's frozen or had been had frosted up. Although not advisable, you should, in theory, be able to melt blocks of ice in your toaster as the water should only drip down into the crumb tray and never touch any of the electronics. Although they're saying don't attempt it. So basically, you say it's OK to do what I've been doing, popping the toast popping the bread from the freezer into the toaster and you have lovely fresh toast all of the time. Thank you for that, Dennis, and hope that you are keeping uh, well. Hi, uh, Patricia, on the universal social charge that you mentioned earlier, that was brought in as a temporary tax during the recession. The government, as always, seems to have a selective memory. They seem to have put this to the bottom of an increasing list of failures. If they want to redeem themselves in the slightest way, then the simple thing to do would be remove this unwanted tax. Thanking you. And that's from a different Dennis. But as I said to you, Dennis, it brings in 4.4 billion a year. We haven't a hope of it being abolished, whether they'll tweak with it, but we certainly can't see it being abolished. And somebody else says if if the government weren't so busy in paying themselves large wages and large wages to other civil servants, they might be able to get rid of the universal social charge. And a West Cork listener says, Patricia, I hope this message finds you well. I would like the health insurance to be looked at as you have to serve five years for a pre-existing condition before you can claim on your health insurance. I think this five rule should be done away with. They also, I feel, should do away with universal social charge for all uh, workers. Thanking you. And that is from a an West Cork listener. Mossy in West Cork Society, Patricia, there is a better way to the current capitalism system in which we live. Capitalism is for the few, not for the many. We have to use our imagination when coming up with alternative solutions to capitalism. We are an extremely intelligent country and world and we should comfortably come up with solutions. Thanking you. Yeah, if, if only we could, you know, the, the, the 
that statistic that I always give. We produce enough food to feed the world three times over, yet a third of the world are dying of starvation. I mean, that just... That sums up capitalism, does it not? Thank you for your text, Marcy, to 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. There will be lots of bingo fans heading out tonight because there's bingo on in various parts of the county. In Mallow GAA Complex, bingo tonight quarter past eight. They've got a jackpot of €2,150 and please note that the usual buses will operate. We're at the more bingo. They're back tonight. Half eight start. And drive-in bingo is returning to the Creamery Yard in Kildallery tonight. That's at eight. And social dancing is back in Ballonhasic Community Development Association. Social dancers are welcome to the Marion Hall in Ballonhasic tonight. Dancing is to David and Irene Ring from 9.30 to 12.30 admission is €10 and teas will be served and Donnerail Men's Shed will meet tomorrow Saturday at half past two that's in the Pastoral Centre on the Convent Road in Donnerail all are uh, welcome and at Stay With Adult Social Dancing it is continuing at Fremont Community Hall every Sunday between three and six this weekend it's the turn of the singing Jarvie Jer Healy Declan Anger will provide the music the following weekend. No children permitted, like refreshments will be provided. Cost of entry is €10 and proceeds go towards the upkeep of Fremont Community Hall. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. And thank you to Catherine in Dunmanway who has just WhatsApped the programme to remind me that she was talking talking to me on air a number of weeks ago we were talking about parcels being delayed and problems some people were having with customs around parcels and Catherine joined me on air to talk about her daughter living in uh, has been living in Australia and that in April of last year she had sent a parcel that had then got returned back to Catherine even though it had all the correct postage on it it got returned back to her in November and how disappointed she was and she was explaining how she hadn't seen Katie in almost three years because of the pandemic. Katie hasn't been able to get back from Australia and obviously Catherine hasn't been able to get out to see her. And in those three years, Katie very much setting down roots in Australia and she met her partner two years ago and Catherine has never met Katie's new partner, Kyle and with all of the restrictions, haven't been able to get home. So Catherine did the nearest best thing and invited Kyle's parents to visit them in Dunmanway last November. If I remember rightly, Kyle is from Manchester. I think it was. But anyway, she brought the parents over and they had a really nice time kind of the in-laws meeting up even though the the other parents coming over from Manchester have, has never met Catherine's daughter Katie uh, either. Anyway, at the time Catherine was telling us that Katie was now expecting a baby and I had said to Catherine will you let us know when the baby is born? So Catherine messaging this morning to say thrilled to announce that Katie and Kyle gave birth to a little baby boy yesterday in the Royal Women's Hospital in Port Melbourne and it is Catherine's first ever 
grandchild. Oh, she said, we are beyond happy and proud. So a bit of good news to share. And then something that Catherine just informed me, Katie was actually, what when we were called County Sound back in the day, was the County Sound baby girl born on County Sound's second birthday back in 1992. Oh, that's a gorgeous, gorgeous connection. Will you send Katie and Kyle on our very best wishes and welcome to the world, your beautiful little uh, grandson. No name, well, if you have the name, you're not sharing it yet, but and no doubt you'll, you'll get to see the baby on, on FaceTime for a little while and hopefully before too long either Katie and her little family will be able to come home to you in Dunmanway or maybe you'll be able to get out and see her but that's lovely and that made me smile and thank you for that and we can all do with a bit of cheer on a Friday This is the Court Today replay on C103 Mark Malone our movie reviewer joins us Good afternoon to you Mark Hi, Patricia. Okay, you went along to see The Matrix Resurrections and Don't Look Up. Okay, let's take a clip from The Matrix. Why does this feel like a memory? Like I have been waiting my whole life for you. Maybe this isn't the story we think it is. I never believed I was the one. What do you believe? I still know Kung Fu. Now we're into one of the Matrix movies. This is another follow-on. How many Matrix movies have they made? Uh, this is the fourth. Fourth, and okay. I was going to ask you, yeah, have, have you watched any I, of the I I would have seen the first one and didn't really, I wouldn't be a Matrix <laughs> fan, but I certainly saw the first one, yeah. I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say the first one. And it's almost like the other two didn't really exist. And when you talk to a lot of fans of The Matrix, and uh, even myself, I mean, when we talk about The Matrix, we always talk about the first one. We try and do our very best to ignore two and three, which uh, unfortunately were a kind of a huge disappointment. I mean, you know, two and three, I'm, I, the thing about The Matrix, I've seen it about 10 times, but two and three I've seen once. And that was enough for me. Like you, um, you know, I presume you just weren't really interested. No. And the thing about yeah, there were some interesting kind of moments in them. I think uh, I think two had a really, really good car uh, chase, which was really, really good. But then three had this ridiculous kind of orgy at one stage, which kind of came out of nowhere, made absolutely no sense whatsoever. And you're watching it thinking, what am I watching? But it was almost like the Wachowskis at the time just kind of lost the run of themselves. And then, you know, the films became really, really kind of cerebral and ridiculous and over the top. And it, it lost a lot of fans. And so when it comes to this film, I mean, first of all, you know, a, a number number of kind of critics out there said why are you doing this why would you make this and in fact when you when you watch it that's a question I asked as well unless there was you know unless the Wachowskis had nothing better to do and just decided okay let's kind of make another Matrix film because basically it mirrors the first film a lot it, it kind of ignores two and three as if they didn't happen and uh, when we meet Keanu Reeves once again he's playing the character here of Thomas Anderson he's not playing Neo because he's once again back in the kind of game world, the, the non-real world. He's not Neo here, even though uh, in the first three films, we knew that he was the one with extraordinary powers, but he's back again being kind of Thomas Anderson. So they basically mirrored the first film again, which is kind of a very, very, very odd thing to do. I don't know whether it's done simply out of nostalgia or Lana Wachowski just basically didn't have an idea, a kind of an original idea, uh, you know, to, to, to produce this film. But um, there are a number of scenes in the first film which are 
basically recreated here. You heard him say there at the end of the trailer, I still know Kung Fu, uh, which was one of the funniest lines in the first film. Yeah, and yeah. There's a lot of kind of, there's a lot of kind of wink wink action going on as well because he is not Neo here, as I said, he's Thomas Anderson and he is a games developer and he has developed a trilogy of games called The Matrix. And there's this ridiculous kind of scene which kind of goes on for a very, very long time where all these kind of millennial kind of um, game producers all sit around talking about the merits of the game and the trilogy of uh, the the Matrix games, and they were kind of going, "Oh, I think the sequels are terrible. Uh, two and three weren't as good as the first one." So there's a kind of annoying kind of wink, wink going on here from Lan, who's saying, "Look, I know the reality of uh, a lot of the fans. I know what you kind of thought, and I'm trying to do my best here to kind of kind of make up for it." Unfortunately, I don't think she particularly does. For example, they completely recreate the opening scene. Now, if you remember the opening scene of uh, of the Matrix with Carrie Anne Moss. Trinity. It's one of the great opening scenes of all time. And it's recreated here almost shot for shot. But it's not as good. Um, which is very odd. And you kind of think, well, why? why? If you're just recreating the very, very same thing, why can't it be any better? And I don't know why. Um, it's difficult to say, but it just seems slower and not as exciting. And maybe I'm used to the first film. I don't know, but I just didn't think it was very good. Uh, they recreate, for example, the Kung Fu scene. And there's constant references to the first film uh, throughout this whole film, which is very, very confusing. I did read a review where the reviewer said, if anybody knows what's happening here, could they please email me and let me know <laughs> exactly what's happening? I won't be emailing him because I too was confused by the whole thing. But then I was confused by two and three as well. A lot of the times I just thought, that um, the Wachowskis were trying to be just a little bit too clever for their own good when really people wanted kind of slow motion kind of bullets, you know, flying at people. Uh, Keanu Reeves has this very confused look in his face throughout the whole film. Uh, he doesn't look like the, 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 the Neo of the original films. I mean, he looks like John Wick. He's got the long hair and the beard. And he does look very, very confused as to what's happening here. Carry On Mass is back. And by the way, when they are on screen together, there is a lot of chemistry there. It's still there. And they are terrific. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne is not in the film. He was asked why he wasn't in the film. And he said, look, you're going to have to ask Lana Wachowski that. I don't know. So there's a different actor playing Wachowski, uh, playing uh, Lawrence Fishburne, who does an impression of Lawrence Fishburne when once again, they kind of recreate the very, very same kind of, um, you know, scenes from the original film. It's two and a half hours long, Patricia. Um, and even for me, as a kind of a Matrix fan, I did find it a bit of a slog. But as with all the Matrix films, if you take, say, the three of them together, there's some great stuff here. There's some exciting stuff. Some of the action sequences are, are brilliant. Although, mind you, if you compare it to, you know, there was a lot of talk initially when the first film came out with the special effects and how good they were. It just goes to show how good they were when you compare them here, because there's little or no difference. I mean, they haven't, it just goes to show how good the special effects were in the first film. Um, so when they, um, when the film is good, when it's uh, when it's exciting, when when Reeves and, and, and Moss are together on screen, it's very it's it's very entertaining but there are long sections of talk and boredom where it just begins to kind of get a little bit too clever for its own good and it kind of just basically loses a kind of a fan like me and i'm just like come on get on with it you know what i mean and uh, you know there's a lot of walking through mirrors there's there's a lot of slow motion action which is really dull but when it's good it's good when it's bad unfortunately it can be pretty boring i got to about two hours pretty pretty well the last half hour was a was a slog for me I'm wondering if somebody came to this and had never seen the first Matrix yeah I was thinking about that actually before I came on to you and I was kind of thinking well could somebody watch this I don't think you can I think you would certainly need to watch the first film to know what's going on okay all right mark it out of 10 
Oh, five? Five. Oh, okay. That is yeah. The Matrix Resurrections. Now, your second movie is Don't Look Up. This is the Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, this is a much better film, I'm glad to say. It too is very long, mind you, at two and a half hours, but um, but was much more entertaining. Um, I really, really like this very much indeed. This is brought to us by uh, Adam McKay, uh, who is the writer and director here, and he's made a lot of kind of comedies in the past. And this is very much a kind of a satirical comedy, which kind of looks at basically what's happening. And we, you know, he's an American director, so we look at kind of American politics and and uh, American media over the past six or seven years and what's happened there. And he's basically kind of written a kind of a political kind of uh, kind of social media uh, satire here uh, on the events of the last kind of five or six years. So basically the story is we've got uh, two scientists. We've got uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence, and they discover a meteor. Well, it's a, on its way to Earth. It's about five kilometers across. And they're saying, look, it's a, it's a life-ending meteor. Worse, way worse than uh, the meteor that uh, wiped out the dinosaurs. And so they go to their superiors and their superiors say, oh my goodness me, we've got to go to the government. And so there's a scene where they go to the government. Now, the president here is played by Meryl Streep and a completely kind of over the top kind of um, uh, kind of a huge kind of character who basically kind of dismisses what they say and say, look, you know, how would this affect me? as my kind of, uh, as, as head of the United States, how will this affect my voters' base? Is there money to be made out of this? And they're saying, no, hang on a second, you've got to understand here, you know, the world is going to come to an end. And then the film kind of deals with their desperate attempt to kind of tell the world the reality of the situation, whilst the media and the world just goes completely crazy. And it... It, the film kind of delves with kind of conspiracy theories. It, can, it, it lies in the media, what is true, what isn't, and the way in which people manipulate the truth for their own um, for, for, for their own benefit. And so it can be a very, very frustrating film to watch at times. It is over the top, as a lot of kind of satire is, and it has to be. And so there are times when you kind of really find it difficult to kind of take seriously. But then when you look at what's happened in the world, you look what's happened in the media and how truth is on at times kind of manipulated for people's own benefit. It, the reality is there. Yeah, and particularly when you think of really, really well. when you think of things like climate change and how we don't listen to the experts and we should be listening to the experts. I mean, I, I watched this movie. I thought it was a cracker of a movie as well. And that's the one oh, thing. I'm glad that, you seen it. Yeah. yeah, it's the one thing that ran through my head while I was watching. and saying, "This is climate change. We just we don't you know we don't want to listen to the experts. You know, and the governments don't want to listen to the experts because it's going to cost them money." Well, how many times have you heard people look, you know, I've I've done my own research yeah, on yeah, YouTube yeah, yeah. or on the Internet. Um, you know, I don't want the scientists telling me, um, you know, the reality of something. I don't believe it. And there are lots of people who don't believe it. There are lots of people out there who are smart, intelligent people who think the earth is flat and, uh, and they desperately believe this. And so that's what the film kind of deals with. You know, what is true? What isn't? And it's the way in which kind of people just kind of blindly kind of, you know, um, just ignore the, the, the facts and the reality and science uh, and basically kind of decide to kind of produce and tell the world of their own prejudices rather than the reality of what's happening in the world. And um, and I was hugely entertained by it. I'm glad you, I mean, you, you, you thought it was really good. Really enjoyed it. Absolutely. And the great lineup of... Of, and, and, and I thought Mer- Meryl Streep was, was a female Donald Trump. I mean, I thought she was great. Well, that's just, basically who yeah, she's representing yeah, here. It was great. I mean, that's it was true. A um, well, well worth the watch. I know, I know it's a long movie, but it is worth the watch, I think. Don't, don't look up. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think what was interesting to Mark Rylands plays, you know, one of the richest people in the world. We know who he's representing and mm. he has this spaceship which looks exactly like Bezos, um, you know, spaceship, for example. And uh, so, yeah, so there's lots of rough references to the real, real world here. It's very, very clever indeed. I, I was hugely entertained by it. And even though it was long, uh, I thought it was terrific. OK, Mark, it out of 10? I'll give it nine. Nine, yeah, absolutely. I agree with you 100%. And before I let you go, I know your wife is, like me, a Downton Abbey fan and I know you were never a Downton Abbey fan. Is she aware of a new series called The Gilded Age on Sky Atlantic? Funny you should say that. Well, hang on a second. Um, I didn't watch the television series. I didn't. But then I don't watch that many dramas, okay. you know, on TV. I tend to watch a lot of sport and I tend to watch a lot of kind of movies and stuff. But I did like the movie. You remember? Oh, you I did, yeah, the movie you really, did. really you good did. review. But I really liked it. Uh, and I know there's a new movie coming out. Um, my wife did watch that new series. She yeah. came in to me and she said, this is brilliant. <laughs> well, my comment was, because my husband left the room when it was on as well, he just doesn't do period <laughs> dramas, and I burst in and said, that is Downton Abbey on steroids. It is fantastic. <laughs> so anyone who's Downton Abbey fan, check out Gilded Age. It is brilliant. Listen, Mark, thanks for that. We'll chat again next week. Uh, have a lovely Welcome. week. Thanks to me and that's Mark Malone, our movie reviewer. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. And we're back with you Monday morning at 10. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Enjoy the rest of your Friday. Never lovely weekend. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie